there is always somebody who forgets where their bike is. Then they're running up and down like a crazy person because you're frantic because you want to have a good race and all of a sudden you can't find your bike. So I walk over there to the bike out. I think about where my bike is. I look around. I look for landmarks. I walk back. And all the while, I am again mentally preparing. Welcome to Power Up Your Performance, where we talk about how you can learn to think, feel, perform, and live like a champion. Welcome to the show, everyone. My name is Kim Peek, and this week, the week of June 24th, is National Triathlon Week. So I am doing a series of podcasts, videos, and posts all about triathlon, and you can catch all of that here on the podcast. You can check the show notes for previous episodes, and on all social media, by following me at Power of Run. I am Power of Run on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Oh, and Pinterest too. On Monday, I told you all about how my friends and I got started in triathlon many years ago. Tuesday, I talked about the biggest obstacles and excuses that I hear for reasons why people say that they won't try a triathlon. Wednesday, I shared tips for Masters Athletes, and now today I am going to answer some of your questions about triathlon rules and triathlon terms, and some of the things that you don't necessarily think to ask until it actually happens. And then tomorrow's episode will be the final episode in my triathlon series, and it will be about all the things you need to know for race week and the morning of your big race. So let's dive in to some of these questions about triathlon and some of these terms. You might have heard the term clipless pedals, which absolutely makes no sense at all once you know what these pedals are because it's very confusing. Because clipless pedals are the pedals with the slots for you to snap your shoes into. So your shoes actually are clipping onto your pedals. But when this type of pedal was new, they called them clipless to distinguish them from the pedals with toe clips and straps that are connected to the regular flat pedals. You've probably seen these. They kind of look like a little basket that you slip your toes into. So your foot is actually stuck on the pedal. And in my opinion, it's more dangerous because it's harder to get your foot out of that basket when it's time to stop. So clipless pedals were called clipless as a means of differentiating between the two. Clipless pedals have a cleat on the bottom of the cycling shoe that connects to a clip on the pedal. And if all of that sounds confusing and you don't know how on earth you would ever buy that or figure it out, I promise you can visit your local bike shop and they will happily help you select the right shoe and pedal combination. They will completely figure it out for you. Because it does get a little bit confusing when you have all this new gear to learn. But just to backtrack just slightly, remember that you don't need this when you are first starting out. A regular bike with regular flat pedals works just fine. But as you get more into the sport, you might want to take advantage of some of the tools that will make you more efficient. And clipless pedals allow you to maximize the entire pedal stroke. So your foot stays centered on the pedal exactly where it's supposed to be without sliding all around, which is really helpful if you're trying to accelerate quickly or if you're going up a hill or if you're cycling in the rain, 
just to have your foot not moving around is helpful. And because your foot is clipped in, you're also able to take advantage of the downstroke on the pedal as well as that upstroke. So every time your foot goes around, you're able to pull up so that the power is evenly distributed with one smooth pedal stroke instead of a push down and then wait for gravity to bring it up. So it does help make your stroke much more efficient. It can seem unnerving the first times out though. Most people recommend practicing clipping and unclipping on the bike if you're on if you have a trainer to do it inside and clip and unclip. Just sit there 25, 50 times, 100 times even before you ever go outside on the pavement. Just get really comfortable with twisting your foot. You're basically taking your heel and turning it away from your bike to pop your foot out of there. And you want to practice that before you get on the road so that you're not uncertain. You want it to feel like it's a habit that you already, it's automatic. And if a bike trainer is not something that you have, you can always go to a grassy area. A lot of people just like to go take their bike to a park and or in their backyard and practice cycling and clipping and unclipping and stopping their bike on the grass. It's a lot more comfortable when you fall. And unfortunately, most people do fall at some point while they are learning to clip and unclip. It's just one of those things. But once you get the hang of twisting your foot to unclip, it is so much safer and so much more efficient than having your foot stuck in a cage. Next, new term. You might have heard of the term brick. What is a brick? A brick is a workout where you swim and bike back to back or you bike and run back to back. And the purpose of the brick is to help your body get used to moving from one discipline to the next. More common than the swim bike run though is the bike run brick. So after riding your bike, it can feel really awkward to suddenly transition to running. So practicing the bike to run allows you to get used to that feeling of running on basically what feels like jelly legs. You want to make sure that you aren't going to go too hard on every training session, but it is a good idea to do a bike run brick every couple of weeks. And I even often suggest doing even just a three-minute run after one or two of your bike rides a week. It doesn't overtax the body to do that, but it does help you just get used to that feeling and help you mentally prepare so that you know when I get off the bike, this is what my legs feel like. And I know me personally, it always amazes me how quickly I adapt at the start of a new season. You know, maybe I don't do as many of those over the winter. I mean, let's be honest, I probably don't do any because I usually take some time off of some of that kind of stuff. But after... About five minutes into a run, my legs start to feel much more normal, and they're still slightly fatigued because I was just biking, but it's something that you kind of just get used to. You understand what it feels like, and you get to know for you how long it takes your legs to kind of feel back to normal where you're not focusing on that pain of how labor-intensive it is to run, how taxing it is on your body, and You know, with most things about triathlons, so much triathlon is mental. And so the more you can practice those mental skills, the better. And this is just one of those mental skills to get used to how it feels. It is something, the bike to run especially, is something you'll want to try a few times before a race day. Otherwise, you're just going to be shocked when your legs don't work when you take off for that run. 
I have also, just so you know, you don't have to take off running. I know a lot of athletes. I've seen a lot of athletes walk out of transition and walk a block or two to get their heart rate down before they start the running. And that kind of lets your legs start to feel a little bit more normal too. And depending on where my own heart rate is when it's time to start the run portion of a try, I also sometimes will take the opportunity to walk out of transition and get something to drink. There's usually That's usually a place where they do have an aid station where they have people handing out drinks and it's a perfect opportunity once your rush is kind of over and you're transitioning between sports to just relax a little bit and get a drink. Speaking of transition, what does the phrase transition mean? There's a lot of different parts to this one. When you first get to the race venue in the morning, you will set up your bike on a bike rack. And this is actually a USA Triathlon rule, but you'll have a number on the bike rack and your wheel, the wheel that goes down, is supposed to go down on the number side of the rack. Not up in the air, but the wheel down on that side of the rack. That's how it's supposed to go. And you can be penalized if you don't set up that way, but there's always, always, always so much race day confusion and everybody's asking each other how it how it is supposed to be set up and who's right and who's wrong. So it's one of those rules that is a rule, but it's casual and you're not going to get penalized immediately for not knowing, especially at a beginner's triathlon where they're trying to make sure that you have a good introduction into the sport. But anyway, back to transition. So you're going to, at some races, the place that you set up your bike and your gear is assigned. And at others, it's first come, first serve. And you choose your favorite spot among all the spots on all the bike racks. But if it's assigned or either way, you're going to set up your bike on the rack, wheel down on the side that your number is shown on, and then a little bit to the side or behind that tire, you're going to set up the rest of your gear in a way that seems organized and makes sense for you. And you're going to think, when you do that, you're going to think about the order that you're going to do things after you come back from swimming and after you come back from biking. So when you come back from swimming, think about where are you going to take off your cap and goggles? Where are you going to put those when you take them off? Leave room for that. You're going to need to change into shoes. Where are your cycling shoes go? Or are you going to wear your running shoes? And where are you going to wear socks? Are you going to wear socks with those or just put your bare foot inside? Some people even like to put powder on the inside of their shoes to help dry their feet off. So you're going to think through all of those things. To get those shoes on efficiently, how do you need that gear set up? And where do you want your sunglasses and helmet so you can put those on quickly and efficiently without having to constantly move things around? It's kind of like that theory about when you have mail come into your house, the theory that you want to touch something just once, or if you're unloading your groceries, you want to be efficient and touch it just once, bring it in the house, put that item directly into the pack pantry because it would waste time to unpack everything onto your onto your counter and then touch everything again. So I know that's kind of an OCD example, but you want to think about only touching things once so that you're not wasting time moving them around. So I usually come in from the swim and I sit my butt down right on the concrete. Some people like um, little buckets that they sit on. I just plop right down on the concrete. I put my socks on, then my cycling shoes, 
my helmet is sitting top side down next to my shoes. So while I'm still on the ground, I lift my helmet, put it on my head, and I snap it. My sunglasses are next to my helmet, so I put those on my face as I stand, and now I'm ready to pull my bike from the rack and run out of transition. USA Triathlon rules state that you need to walk or jog your bike out of transition. So you're not allowed to ride your bike in that setup area, in the transition area. There's going to be a line right outside of transition where you are allowed to mount your bike. And then on the way back in, there's a dismount line also. So as you leave transition, your helmet must be on and snapped. And this is another one where if you forget, you're going to have a thousand people yelling at you because they're not going to let you out of that gate without your helmet on and snapped. They just won't let you proceed. After you ride, you're going to have a different gate that you come back through to get back into transition so you can rack your bike and prepare to run. So you're going to put your bike back on the rack. Again, wheel side down on the side, same side of the rack as your number. And as I am driving my bike back to approach that dismount line, I'm usually rehearsing in my head, mentally rehearsing everything that I'm going to do next, visualizing how I'm going to park my bike and do all of these things. So you dismount your bike at the line outside of transition. You won't miss it because again, they're all going to be yelling at you to slow down. They will keep warning you that it's coming up, it's coming up, coming up. So you start slowing down, you prepare to get off your bike, you get off your bike, you unclip your helmet, and then you walk or jog back into the transition area and rack your bike. I usually rack my bike and then sit back down again while I change my shoes. My visor is on the ground next to my running shoes, so I put it on my head, and then on my way back to my feet, I grab my water belt or my fuel belt, and I snap it as I'm running out the gate. Now, with all this gear, you can see why you need to think through the order you're going to do things so you aren't wasting time digging through your gear. You also need to be aware that you don't have a ton of space and that every other person racing is going to be doing the same thing. So what I like to think of is most people will bring some sort of a towel that they sit on, that they set all their stuff out on. You usually have about the size of a hand towel, like a bathroom hand towel. So that's a great visual so that you claim your space and everybody around you knows that this is my space. It also lets you know ahead of time how much space to plan for. So you can practice setting that up at home, kind of see how everything's going to look. But you also have to be aware just that there's other people, so you're being considerate of everybody else in their space. I have come back to find my spot covered up with somebody's dirty towels or to have gel wrappers tossed in my pile. And, and that's just rude. It also happens to be against the rules to disrupt anybody's space. Kind of a side note there too, but this has happened to me in the past. If you knock somebody else's bike off the rack as you're putting your bike up, besides being polite, it is also a rule that you must put that other person's bike back on the rack. You can't just, oh dang, knocked that off. I'm going to take off running. Better luck next time. You have to take care of that if you are the one who knocks somebody's bike off the rack. Anyway, so just 
in the middle of all this organized chaos, remember to also be considerate of the other people who are sharing this really tight space because everybody is friendly and everybody really wants each other to do well. Also related to transition, after you've set up your area on race day, it is helpful to look for landmarks so that you're able to find your bike fast. Once I've set up my bike, I usually walk from my bike down to the water, and then I trace that path that I'm going to take after I swim from the water back to my bike. And then I stand next to my bike, and I stare out into the water, and I'm sure it looks really odd, but it helps me visualize the path I'm going to run. It helps me just kind of picture and get into the zone. And this is my personal process. It doesn't mean you have to do it this way, but it's how I get myself into the zone, get myself mentally prepared for race day. It's just thinking through those paths and how I'm going to transition from one activity to the other. And then I do the same thing, tracing my path from the rack to the bike out gate. So I'm done swimming. Now I'm going to pretend like I... I'm ready to go bike. I, I think through. I, I imagine myself pulling my bike off the rack. Imagine myself walking to where you go to the bike out gate. And I will walk that path. Then once I get to that gate, I will turn around and look at where my bike is so that I can mentally prepare, remember where my bike is. Because strangely, it really does help to see your bike on the rack from all the angles. You would be amazed but now you won't be surprised when you see this happen at your race because there is always somebody who forgets where their bike is. Then they're running up and down like a crazy person because you're frantic because you want to have a good race and all of a sudden you can't find your bike. So I walk over there to the bike out. I think about where my bike is. I look around. I look for landmarks. I walk back and all the while I am again mentally preparing. And then I don't always do the same thing from the run out gate because you'll go out another separate section for the run. But I will stand at my bike rack and again, just look at what's the most efficient path for me to take. And I imagine all of this and I do all of this as part of my pre-race ritual, just thinking through all of those things. So as far as your transitions from swim to bike and bike to run go, You can do all of these things as fast or as slow as you want. I know I'm talking like you are racing for time, but I realize there's a lot of people who aren't really going to care how fast. You're just in it to finish and that's a great adventure and you're going to have a great time with your friends and who cares what your time is. If that is you, that is awesome. You race the way that you want to race. That is perfect. But If you are trying to be competitive and hope to see yourself on the podium someday, it's really helpful to practice those transitions and see where you can shave seconds off. And again, this only applies if you want to race your absolute fastest time because your transition time is factored into your overall race time. And sometimes the difference between placing and not placing comes down to a matter of seconds and you can trace that back to the few seconds where you ran up and down the aisles looking for your bike, for example. All right, I had no idea I had so much to say about transition. So I'm going to wrap this episode up by touching on a few rules. And then tomorrow we are going to talk more about the things you need to know about race week and race day. 
Sometimes race directors are not overly strict about certain rules, especially if you're doing a triathlon that's geared more towards beginners. But it is important for you to know the rules because they're they're really kind of common sense and, and rules that make sense. So we want to try to respect those rules because they're there mostly for safety. You do want to wear a helmet and you are not allowed to wear headphones. Those are two big rules. So if music motivates you when you run and it's it can be a good tool for helping you build endurance and helping you to maintain a quick pace. But you want to do at least a few practice runs without your headphones and music because on race day, you don't get to use them. The official rule states, headphones, headsets, Walkmans, iPods, MP3 players, or personal audio devices are not to be carried or worn at any time during the race. So this also means that your cell phone does not belong on the course. And if you do have it because it serves as your bike computer, it must be used for its official race purpose. And you can't take selfies or pictures or text or accept phone calls during the race. And you can't be playing music out your belt either. Your phone, if you're using it in an official capacity, needs to be where it's not affecting anybody else and it's not affecting your safety. Triathlon can be a really dangerous sport with people running all over the place, people biking, worrying about zigging and zagging, you know, in in and out of each other. It can be dangerous. And so while we all want to have fun, it really is important to avoid distractions so that we can keep everybody safe on the course. When you pick up your packet, you are going to get a bunch of race numbers and you will receive instructions on how your body must be marked. Sometimes they use a product called Tri-Tats, and it's just a bunch of tattoos that go on your arm. Usually you'll put them on the morning of, and you'll be fine. They'll stay on throughout the whole race. Sometimes they're not a lot of fun to get off, but sometimes you'll use Tri-Tats. Other times you're going to show up in the morning, and there's going to be a station that you go to where somebody's going to write your race number on your body and officially mark your body. Those instructions will be in your race packet. But there are official rules about race numbers too. The official race number rule reads, all athletes are required to wear race numbers at all times during the run. Numbers must face the front and be clearly visible at all times. Numbers may not be cut or folded or altered in any way. Do not transfer your number to any other athlete or take a number from an athlete that is not competing. Related to this rule, plan to pick up your race packet yourself. You have to show your ID and no one is allowed to pick up the packet in your place. And this rule about not transferring your numbers has a huge penalty if you are caught violating this rule. And again, that's to maintain integrity of the race because we're competing against age group category people. But it's also a safety thing because they have to know who is in the water, and who is out on the course. And as you come in and out of each event, they are counting you down. And if there is an emergency, they need to know that the emergency information matches up. So there's a huge penalty because it's a huge safety issue. And also because we want to maintain integrity of knowing that the people that are out there competing are competing in the correct age group. So the penalty, if you mess this one up, is disqualification for disqualification from the race 
and one-year suspension from membership in USA Triathlon for transferring a number without race director permission. For some of these other race violations I've mentioned, they are time penalties. So depending on the distance of the race, and if it's your first or second or third violation within a race, it's a different number of minutes. But in the official rules that I'll link to, it will tell you, and you will know, you will be told if you have a race violation, you're going to know. Let's see, what else? Unlike doing a marathon or a road race, you are not allowed to throw your wrappers or throw away clothing. There is a penalty for abandoning your belongings. So this official rule says, all personal equipment and belongings taken out onto the course must stay on the athlete the entire time. No garbage, no clothing, no bottles shall be thrown on the course. So whatever you take out with you, you need to bring back. Again, that is just a nice common sense rule. We want to respect the communities that are allowing us to run and cycle and swim in their communities so that they will invite us back. We want to make sure that we are being good neighbors. You also don't want to be throwing a bunch of junk out on the course that somebody could accidentally run over and trip or that might get stuck in somebody's wheels and then we have a bad bike accident. So again, most of these rules are always common sense and courteous things related to courtesy, either being part of a community or just taking care of your fellow racers. One last rule for today, and then tomorrow I'll touch on a few more. This one is related to outside assistance. No, The rule says, no assistance other than offered by race and medical officials may be used. Triathlons and duathlons are individual tests of fitness. So what that means is that you can't have someone on the course hand you your water bottle, your friend can't touch your bike or change your flat for you, and you can't have someone jump in from the crowd and run or ride alongside to help pace you. This is all about you and your own skills, and you just can't accept any outside assistance. So that was a lot more than I planned to cover today. I want you to come back tomorrow because I am really excited to share some race day stories and race day tips to help prepare you for your big event. So enjoy your day and get out there and power up your performance. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. I'm Coach Kim Peek of Power of Run, and you can find me at www.crushingmygoals.com. Dot com or on all social media as at sign power of run. If you liked this episode, be sure to give the podcast some love over on iTunes and remember to subscribe as a new podcast. Your reviews and stars and subscribes will help me grow the audience so that I can share my love of health and fitness and bring more experts to the show. Power up your week and I will catch you next Tuesday.